How do those around us know that God dwells within us? When we repent of our sin, place our faith in Jesus, make him Savior and Lord of our lives, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes to live within us. But how do people around us know that the Spirit of God lives within us? How can that be true? Let's say, for the sake of illustration, we were to lay out before you tonight a Christian and perform a live autopsy. Wouldn't that be fun? I can guarantee this session would be the most viewed session in the history of Word Power Media Ministry. But if we were to put a person out in front of us who claims to be a believer, we would open them up and do a live autopsy. Would we see the Spirit of God inside? No. So how do we know the Spirit of God lives inside? He will be evident on the outside. That is the truth that Peter conveys in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. We continue our session, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In the beginning of verse 22, Peter declares, since you have in obedience to the truth. Back in verse 14, Peter had introduced us to the concept of obedience. Here, as then, Peter does not call for obedience, he assumes it. And you may recall from an earlier session that the Greek word for obedience is actually the combination of two very different Greek words. One meaning under, the other meaning to hear. So obedience is literally come, coming under the authority of the one whose voice we hear. Since you have, he says, in obedience to the truth. What truth? The truth of the gospel as he declared it in verses 18, 19, and 20. The truth that we could not do anything to save ourselves, that we were separated from God by sin, and that God in love and mercy sent Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Before the foundation of the world, God had put a plan in place that Jesus would come. He would die and shed his blood as a ransom to buy us back. And when Jesus comes to live within us, when the Spirit of God comes to live within us, we are born again. That is born brand new. There is a brand new you inside the same 
old you. And that new character should inevitably produce a new conduct because the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is constantly making us less of what we are and more of what God wants us to be. There is a transformation. So the transformation on the inside is evident on the outside. That is the process of purification, and it comes as a result of our obedience coming under the authority of the one whose voice we hear, our obedience to the truth, that is, the gospel. We are transformed. That is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Back in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus, in preparation for his departure, talks to the apostles about the role of the Holy Spirit once Jesus has ascended. In John chapter 14, beginning with verse 16, Jesus declares, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Notice the connection between the Holy Spirit and truth. Truth, as Peter just explained it in verse 18, or in verse uh, 22. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. Why? Because he abides with you and will be in you. In John chapter 16, beginning with verse 12, Again, Jesus says in regard to the role of the Holy Spirit, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. That is, he will be your mentor. He will be your instructor. He will guide you into, what will he guide us into? All the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it, that is, expose it, share it with you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and discloses it to you. Notice that phrase, he will glorify me. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. That is where I so often struggle with organizations, spiritual entities that put such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role is to point our attention to Jesus, to guide us in the truth, to instruct us in the truth so that we grow in Christ. And as the Spirit of God reveals the truth of God, the truth of God transforms us moment by moment, day by day, into the image of the Son of God. Now notice what Peter says. We do not purify ourselves. It is our obedience to the truth. Look at the text. It is our obedience to the truth that produces our purification. So purification is simply a byproduct of our obedience to the truth, 
our obedience that is coming under the authority of the one whose voice we hear. Now, does all of that sound confusing? <laughs> I, I understand that may be the case. But let me try to bring clarity to the confusion by letting Scripture explain Scripture. In the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Wayne, what does that passage have to do with our discussion about purification as a byproduct of our obedience to the truth? Well, think about this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Can a branch produce any meaningful fruit apart from the vine? No, think about a branch a, a, on a, a fruit tree. That branch may say, I'm going to bear fruit if it kills me. It may strain. It may struggle. But it will not produce fruit unless it is attached to the branch, to the, the root, to the vine, to the source or the base of the tree. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. The beloved apostle writes in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here it is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. We become purified as our hope is fixed on him. It is not our effort, but it is our focus on Jesus. So as we come under the authority of the one we hear, we grow in the truth of the gospel. And as we grow in the truth of the gospel on the inside, that purification becomes evident on the outside. Now, Peter says one evidence of this transformation on the inside is a sincere love for others on the outside. Look at verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Not just love, but love deeply. Love fervently. Love passionately. The word fervently actually is a word that comes from the athletic arena. It means to exert oneself with all of one's energy. Christian love is not a feeling. It is a stubborn, steadfast act of the will. And it is the evidence of this stubborn, steadfast act of the love on the outside that demonstrates to a lost world that Jesus lives on the inside. This truth 
stretches throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself said in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Here's the key, verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How will people on the outside know that Jesus lives on the inside? Because they will see our love as it expresses, as it is expressed, and how we care for one another. In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 9, Paul is very blunt and very frank when he says, let love be without hypocrisy. The word means two-faced. Let love be without being two-faced. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, sometimes referred in church circles as the love chapter. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is writing to this battling bride in the city of Corinth. This group, pneumaticos, calling themselves the spirituals, thinking that they were spiritually elite because their quote-unquote gifts were superior to others around them. They were arrogant. They looked down on others. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as Paul is about to discuss spiritual gifts, he makes these statements. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of ecstatic speech, they focused a lot on speaking in tongues. If I have the gift of ecstatic speech, but I don't show love, to those around me, my gift is nothing but noise. It is like a preschooler on a drum set. It's chaos. In verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, that is, if I have the knowledge of the heavenlies, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, Paul says, I am nothing. I'm nothing but noise. I personally am nothing at all. Verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What is Paul's emphasis? Love. That the evidence of our relationship with God, the evidence that God dwells within us, is evident to those around us by our love for one another. One of my favorite passages of Scripture on this emphasis of love and love being the result of God dwelling within us is found in 1 John, the fourth chapter. 1 John, the fourth chapter. It is an incredible passage on love. In 1 John, chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. I'm just going to target a few verses as we walk through 1 John 4. In 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, 
for God is love. Verse 9, but by this the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then continuing in the fourth chapter, dropping down to verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. But why should we love with this stubborn, steadfast, all-consuming love? Back to 1 Peter <coughs> chapter 1, verse 23. Let me put it in context. Since you have an obedience to the truth, this is verse 22, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for because you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. We love, Peter says, because we have been born Again, we have been born from a, above. A brand new you now lives in the same old you, and that brand new you produces a brand new behavior. And that brand new behavior is evidenced by our love for other people. But how were we born again? Again in verse 23, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. New birth is brought about by the agency of the word of God. Can anyone be born again apart from the word of God? The answer is no. Now you may say, well, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and no one read scripture to me. That does not mean the word of God was not applied in their testimony. Because if they introduced you to Jesus, Jesus is found in the gospel. The gospel is the word of God, the truth of God. If anyone shared the love of Jesus with you, if anyone shared with you that you were a sinner in need of a savior, that God loved you, Jesus died for you, and forgiveness from your past and hope for the future was available to you, they shared with you the word of God. The word of God is the message of the gospel, the truth. And that truth exposes our sin, reveals God's provision in Christ, and calls us for a response. Peter says it is a living word. Remember at the beginning of verse 1, he talked about our living hope through Christ. Our hope is living because Christ is living. This word is living because Christ is living. Christ cannot die. Therefore, this word cannot die. It is alive. Skeptics 
atheist can argue about the Word of God, but that does not change the reality that the Word of God is a living, enduring Word. It is an abiding Word. That is, it will not go away. Leading Peter to the precious pronouncement in verses 24 and 25, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he adds this statement, and this is the word which was preached to you. This is the word that was introduced to you. This is the word that allowed you to see you are sinners in need of a Savior. This is the word that brought you into the truth that God loved you, Jesus died for you, forgiveness from your past, hope for the future is available to you. And because you were born again as a result of this truth, there is a brand new you living inside of the same old you. And the brand new you that lives inside of you, despite all the storms you are facing, should be producing outside of you moment by moment, day by day, an image that reflects the one who died for you on the cross. That is the power of the living and enduring word of God. No wonder the writer of Hebrews declared in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the life-transforming power of God's life-giving word. We'll see you next session. Once again, let me thank you for joining us on this journey through God's word. We know your time is precious, and so we consider it an incredible privilege that you've chosen to spend it with us. As I have shared before, we'd love to hear from you. Knowing how we have encouraged you encourages us Recently, I had an individual say, I sit in front of my computer with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, ready to learn from God's Word. If you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comments note at the bottom. We'd love to see those. Or you can reach us. Our email address is wordpowermm at gmx.com. Wordpowermm at gmx.com. If watching this ministry and learning from God's Word has encouraged you, please tell others about us, whether they watch us on YouTube, find us on Instagram, or on podcast. We'd love to know that we are being used by God to help people go deeper in their faith. God bless you, and again, thank you.